Hello, and welcome to Breakaway, Leadership for a Sound Mind and Body, brought to you by the University of Michigan Leadership Collaborative, a community dedicated to advancing leadership learning and removing institutional barriers for students who seek to develop and progress as leaders. I'm James McRae, Senior Associate Director for Student Engagement for the Alumni Association, and I'll be your guide through this podcast journey. In this series, we are asking you to break away from the norms of your daily routines to explore the challenges that leaders face today in developing healthy habits that fuel the mind and body. So I'm inviting you to take this opportunity to do something that you consider physically active while we engage you mentally. Today, we are sharing a full episode of the CEW Plus podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change, featuring guests from the Barger Leadership Institute. So, Let's listen to this episode as we all break away. This podcast is brought to you by CEW Plus at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor as we work to serve our community during this unprecedented time of change. Resiliency is best demonstrated in times of challenges. Join CEW Plus Director Tiffany Mara as she talks to students, staff, faculty, and community members connected to the University of Michigan's Center for the Education of Women Plus in our podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. Today's podcast features Ram Mahalingam and Doreen Moraski. Ram is the director of the Barger Leadership Institute and of the Mindful Dignity Lab, as well as a professor in the psychology department and a senior fellow of the Michigan Society of Fellows. Doreen is the interim associate director of CEW. She leads the midweek mindfulness sits every Wednesday and oversees the Carol Hollinshead Inspire Award program and corresponding Inspire workshop series. Ram and Doreen, welcome to the Strength in the Midst of Change podcast. It's a pleasure to get to talk to you two together as you're both mindfulness experts on campus. Would each of you mind introducing yourself and the point at which mindfulness became a component of your personal and professional journey? Tiffany, thanks for inviting me. It has been a pleasure to be part of this conversation. I grew up in India, originally as a civil engineer by training. Then I became a psychologist later. When I was in college, I was, you know, exams are very stressful in Asian cultures. I was not very good at taking tests that time, somebody told me, if you practice meditation, that'll be good for you. I started learning. I became a certified meditation teacher by the time I was a junior in college. And that's where I started learning meditation. Then over time, I learned about mindfulness. And then my work on social justice work, I was very involved in college days, continued in my professional life too. That also shaped the kind of mindfulness I think about how to use mindfulness to not only personal change, also for social change and the issues we think it's important to us, how to engage with our life more meaningfully, both with our self as well as with our communities that are important to us. Okay, and thank you, Jeffrey, also, and Ron, so nice to be with you this afternoon. So my kind of journey, I think, in terms of mindfulness, personal and professional, I guess I'll start with just even just my quick overview of my roots. So I was born right here in the Mitten state of Michigan, and I grew up in a, a large family, and I was fortunate to have six siblings and parents that really valued time together. So although we didn't have a whole lot of money, my mom was really just a master of 
stretching a dollar, and then just really elevating everyday moments into sources of pleasure and delight. And so although they didn't attend college, they really instilled an importance of education. So I started working when I was young and saving for a car and then for college. And I'll never forget when I drove myself to college, just vividly recalling it since the freedom of an, an adventure as I hit the road and prepared to come to Ann Arbor. Music playing, really singing along, and just being right in that moment of this is my life and I'm, I get to sort of chart this, this new journey. So during college, I continued to just really explore different types of study and aspects, and I really found a home in human development and societal systems kind of principles and issues. So I did get a, I graduated from Michigan with a degree in psychology and then went on to social work. And so from that, I, like Ron, when I was in college is when I really started really tuning more into to mindfulness. And learning a little bit, hearing about it, experiencing a little bit about meditation. And I think for me, where I really found that time of connecting to being in the moment was when I was running. I was a, a, an avid runner and spent my time running solo. And really, those were the times when I would really tune into just, I don't know, the natural world and just that experience of just everything that kept changing in the body as sense of sensation. So basically, then my first job was on campus. I worked at CAPS at the time, and I was hired as a counselor and then was working with a college student peer program. And again, I started utilizing both mindfulness practices as just a way of grounding and centering to be present with people, as well as starting to share some of those techniques with students that I was working with. And then over time, I just continued to learn more about mindfulness with amazing teachers and joined a certification program actually just a few years ago that I really then expanded to feeling more comfortable teaching groups and leading some guided steps as well as bringing it to more larger programs. Yeah, now I know recently mindfulness has become more popular, it seems, and more discussed in the media. I heard some terms from each of you, like grounded, centered, meditation, self-care. How does all of that work together, and what would you call are the core principles of mindfulness? So the core principles of mindfulness are in some ways very simple and yet very, very complex. And part of what you do is when you come into and are trying to welcome more mindfulness in your life, is you're really trying to just be aware of what's happening in that present moment, and then kind of accepting what is there without judgment. So both of those concepts are really difficult because just the nature of the mind to be thinking about moments that came before then, or certainly to be worrying about what may be coming next. And I think in our culture that's so busy on giving a lot of support for doing all the time, just really actually trying to be in a state of being and opening to being aware of what's just happening right now as it's sensed even within the body can be really difficult. And it can also just be really freeing because often if we're able to do that, then we are really tuned into what our mind is doing and then allowing the opportunity just to be right here, right now, and then seeing what really is versus what we expect to be seen. And Ron may be able to take that a little deeper, but those are some of the core principles when I think about them. Thanks, Doreen. I mean, I agree with those principles. 
in my work, I'm kind of expand with the ideas Doreen presented, being the present, and, uh, you know, accepting without judgment. I developed a framework where I can expand on these principles, drawing inspiration from social justice work and my work with marginalized communities. So I want to call this uh, seven principles in my framework. First one is compassion, where you accept, recognize other people suffer and do something about it. Second one, people don't talk much about it, called sympathetic joy. I think we also need to rejoice with other people's happiness. Often we don't do that. We tend to become jealous if we see something good happen to people. So people, a natural tendency is to really, oh my gosh, oh, I didn't have it. It's a very important thing. It's probably one of the single most contribution of the Buddhist psychology and Buddhism to our understanding. So how to consciously cultivate sympathetic joy? How to rejoice with something good happens to people in your family, among friends and colleagues, instead of feeling jealous about that. So that's really, for example, in my language, there is no term for sympathetic joy, but the opposite of sympathetic joy, there are four terms I can use to explain jealousy, different shades of jealousy. So it's important. Then the other one is how we think about our own identities. So all our identities are changing all the time, but different identities come with different privileges. The more privileged that identity is, we tend to hang on to that because it's the capital we have, social capital, cultural capital we have. So how do we think about this privilege awareness so that we can expand our heart to understand other people, using our own privileges to understand our own experiences from other people's lives and who are different from us. Then the idea of wonder, how we think about people who are different from us and why is something happening? For example, if I wonder why my female colleagues are making less money than me, the wonder should lead to some transformation. So wonder is a transformative passion, so it helps us to really do something about it. Wonder is also uh, you, know, you be hard, something larger than like nature, going to Grand Canyon can help us relate to this larger world where we are, only a small part of the larger world that helps with that. Then cultural humility, how we understand, learn from other people with humility. Negative capability, the idea of negative capability where it's close to the accepting. How to stay with some negative, difficult emotions and difficult experiences, difficult aspects of our own life. I may have a lot of prejudices when I encounter my own stereotypes and prejudices and how to look at it with compassion and acceptance so that I can work on that instead of suppressing it. The last one is generosity. Our life is full of different people. Generosities are involved. Our life is so interdependent, which is another core principle. So the interdependence helps to help us understand how so many people's generosities are involved in my everyday life and how to really recognize all of them. So integrate them into our whole is that's why I think is the core of understanding interdependence things are changing all the time and how to relate to realize the interconnected nature of our own life and our own emotions are constantly changing. The identities also have with different privileges and marginalities and how to think about these things in a way we can build coalition. That's why my mindfulness framework operates. Now, how are these mindfulness principles integrated into your work at the university, either at the Barger Leadership Institute or at CEW? I teach a course on mindfulness 
so directly i can you know teach this things for, for undergraduate a semester long course on mindfulness in engaged living so we introduce mindful mindset and i also help them to cultivate each separately so those things are all helping them directly how to reach out to them but at the same time in my work at bli i also created integrated mindfulness practice in all our programs how we train our uh, project staff we have a project fellows and project assistant all of them pas and pfs they are all go through mindfulness training so mindfulness training has been integrated all through our curriculum i also have a six month long i developed a new program called mindful leader program where students work on their skills more carefully six months uh, every two weeks they meet and they learn they also use different techniques to become cultivate mindfulness poetry art it's a very multidisciplinary contemplative approach to understand mindfulness and that's really the program the another program is mindful peace leadership where i take students to japan to hiroshima to really talk about what mindfulness and peace means in this world so hiroshima is probably the best place to have this conversation i took students there they spent talking to spent time talking to survivors of hiroshima bombing who were in their 80s now 70s and 80s they talked about their experience then we ended that practice in a zen temple retreat in a mountain zen temple kwaisen retreat where they went on a really silent retreat to learn about um this reflect on this learning and peace so for a community outreach we also have a pause reflect and create a journaling service so people can write journaling every week they write on a particular topic we send the prompts and they can do journaling online so these are the programs we're running so it's integrated in all our practice in our student training they go through a mindfulness retreat in the beginning of the term in the way we integrate this in our practice and different programs and also have specific opportunities where they can work deeply in the program like mindful leadership program or the global aspects of being peace and mindfulness together in the mindful peace leadership program so that's how we integrate yeah and thank you Ram too for even deepening the conversation and i have to say that that's part of what i've really valued about our work also at the CEW it was exciting to be a part of a group that came together to really to intentionally focus on how do we continue to find ways to build community that sense of belonging and then to offer tools that can assist you know having that sense of well-being and that interconnectedness that's so important work that we do in terms of bringing just more of a just and peaceful world forward and trying to figure out how we do that so that we can cross against all the constituents that we serve at CEW since CEW really reaches out to students staff faculty and then to the broader community so one of those initiatives in 2018 we launched our inspire program and what's been fun with that is really trying to piece together aspects of our work and figure out how we can really bring them together in a way that really provides that sense of community, offers that sense of inspiration, and also provides those tools so that people can feel a comfort instead of reaching maybe even beyond what they thought was possible or that they were capable of. So when we launched Inspire, we were really trying to figure out ways to celebrate diverse scholarship and then help individuals maybe explore and think about possibilities for themselves that they maybe never even envisioned and sometimes hearing people who have really been able to live and walk that authentic genuine path themselves 
that is full of lots of twists and turns. So I think there's that myth that people who are, and I'm putting in quotes, successful are people who just follow a linear path, which is what we know is that we all kind of learn through life and there's all kinds of twists and turns. So really people able to come forward and say, here's sort of how my life kind of came together and here's what I landed on is maybe a passion or a pursuit and what I'm doing in my life as a way to just even, again, kind of fuel people to maybe have that permission to dig deep, to think about what's most important to them. And then through really trying to provide even creative hands-on expressions and opportunity to practice mindfulness as a way to help still and quiet the mind so people can then listen deeply internally to what has meaning and really fire for them. And then it was even fun when we took it a little step further and we combined that initiative with our Carol Hollingshead Award, which was really honoring our former director of CEW, who was at CEW for 20 years. And that award was an equity and social change award. So it really made sense for us as we looked at how do we pair that again. Like, Ron, we were talking about really thinking about mindfulness being a way to really help people not only sort of, again, bring more well-being and compassion to themselves, but through that can really then, how do they extend that and really see some of the work that needs to be done in the world so that they can really extend what has interest and value and meaning to them in the world and bring more justice and and suffering of others. So that's been a really great initiative. When we before we went virtual during COVID, we also paired we have weekly mindfulness books that we hold at CEW on Wednesdays. And since the pandemic we've taken those virtual, which are intentionally a half hour so that people can come together in community and work on practice this art of being present and then again practicing having even more compassion for ourselves and studying that forward. And we combined that also with, on Wednesdays, we'd have the center open for a writing space so that people could also come to the center to also be engaged in their own writing. And then if they wanted to take a pause to join us during our mindfulness that. And through the Inspire Initiative, what we've actually done is both showcase people bringing their work together in a kind of a lightning talk format so people could understand the work that they're doing. And then to have programs, then they would take that during the year and offer programs that were longer to really go deeper into their work. And we've always combined those programs with mindful offerings. So even people who maybe don't have a practice or haven't had a lot of exposure, at least have a, a taste of what even a short mindfulness practice, what that may feel like for them, and then invite them to join us at any time they can during Wednesday. So that's part of what we're doing. We also are going on campus in different ways to even just bring mindfulness to groups that would like to have like experience that within their own community. So those are a few different things that we're doing in terms of mindfulness CW. Yeah, there's so much intentionality that goes into both of your works. I wonder of all of those amazing values and principles that you mentioned, compassion, sympathetic joy, understanding our identity, privilege, cultural community, generosity. When you think about what you hope every participant will take away from a sit or from a course that you teach, what might that one thing be that you believe would be the core principle of mindfulness? 
So part of it is some of the cores that they'll have tools and inner resources that can help them navigate a certain and often challenging world. Part of it I also think is that they're not alone, that they belong uh, to a larger community and there's a sense of interconnectedness. And offering themselves, I think when Don talked a lot about even that compassion, because we're all humans and we do err, we do make mistakes. But as I said, to sort of be able to see that and then be able to make steps to repair that, to move forward, and then to also sort of see things that are happening in the world that are maybe impacting, it may not even be yourself, you may see other things that are damaging to others that you can have, use your privilege and power to try to make some change in ways that then is concurrent with you and uses suffering. And that they will feel like they have the resources to be able to do that. Because I think it takes sometimes just a lot of courage to stand up and to call things out. And again, being able to tap into those resources to feel like a sense of agency that I can do this and I want to do this. And then the other thing that I had mentioned is just really tapping into that placing themselves where they can lead from a sense of just heart and purpose and be able to sort of use their unique talents because we all have different talents. So just being able to recognize that in themselves. Thanks, Doreen. It's, uh, I think all these goals are pretty much part of what I expect. And a few other things in my course that people learn from what I do is I connect between mindfulness and dignity which I think is important. When I become more mindful, often there is a danger of being navel-gazing, just looking at my own well-being, which is good. A lot of mindfulness practices can help people to alleviate the suffering, like anxiety, depression, things like that. We have good data for that. But at the same time, how do we use this to really treat yourself with dignity, three kinds of dignity I talk about, personal dignity, and intersubjective dignity, other person's dignity, and a commitment to dignity around you, which is the process of dignity, a dignity culture you maintain. So the litmus test would be the more mindful you become, not only you feel connected to your own emotions and feelings, what I call the interconnectedness, your connectedness to your own emotions, feelings, and intersectional connectedness, connecting to other people who are different from us, and ecological connectedness, connection to nature, and things like that. So all those things are important. The more you recognize the other person's dignity, the connectedness, all these things together, three things go together, mindfulness, connectedness, and dignity. So you recognize dignity. So you treat other people with dignity. Like Doreen said, a lot of these mindfulness practices is to become more intentional about what we do. Intentional in our act. So you actually mark clearly recognize somebody is generous to us. So a lot of times we take things for granted. We move in autopilot mode, which is good in many contexts. Multitasking, autopilot mode is very good, especially when you're driving. You don't think through all the steps all the time. But at the same time, when you become intentional, you take a moment to understand when you're receiving things, how we have to really recognize the dignity of people who we cross in our life, especially in an economy, increasingly becoming a big economy. Everybody is on two or three jobs to make a living. So sometimes they don't have the same community connection they used to have. So I think how to become aware, how to really 
consciously engage with these things, with compassion and all the other tools we talked about. Hopefully, students and people who have taken the class, they always develop a vision, how they're going to move forward with a commitment to dignity, to lead a life, a mindful life with dignity, not only self-dignity, personal dignity, dignity of other people, and how to commit to a dignity culture around them how they're going to do that. And I think that's the kind of intervention I'm actually doing, ideally. I hope this makes a difference in students' life. And that's how I see this. And all other things Gurin said is like, you know, being intentional, pay attention, being in the moment, be aware of things that are changing all the time. All those things help them enormously. And hopefully it expands their sense of self so that they can connect to other people more as they engage with their social world. I'm guessing those listening are going to want to learn about how they can take part in your services. Could you describe what services are available to different constituencies that people can join? They can go to my website, www.mindfuldignity.com, one word, mindfuldignity.com. So you can actually look at different kind of projects I do, and they can also download guided meditation with this framework. I also have a journaling prompt in that website, so they can download that too. It's all free. They can also go to BLI, which is a website, which is lsnda.umich.edu backslash BLI. If you go there, we have a lot of resources, contemplative resources for our students and for the community. So people can download that. And these things will be very helpful to them. And they can also look at the Mindful Mindset Framework in my website. I have more details and how to use it and use journaling to cultivate mindfulness. We have a lot of prompts available. It's free. They can download the PDF. Yes, and I would say listeners can go to our website, which is cew.umesh.edu. And on our website, they'll find all kinds of different services that we offer. So one of the things we do, we have our weekly midweek mindfulness uh, sets that are offered weekly and you do just need to register for those so you'll get the link to be able to participate. As I tell everybody every week, I'm really holding space and helping people with their own mindfulness practice. So I always tell people, come when you can. If you're running late, you need to leave early, that's fine. Just kind of enter the space and you can exit it at your own time. And again, we'll be virtual until it's safe for us to gather again in person. And we also do have some recorded guided mindfulness practices that are there that you can log into, as well as we do have the lightning talks from our Inspire awardees that they can tune into. And then the other thing that I want to mention is one of our services, too, which I just think is just an amazing service, is our Caring Education Counseling Program. And by visiting our website, you can actually even just call our number, which is 734 764 6360 to schedule an appointment to talk with a counselor as you're working on your own career and education journey. Sometimes people, again, just having those moments to sit with someone else when you can really bring your whole self to the table and really to explore what you would like to bring into your life and how you can kind of get there. Our counselors are just experts at helping people navigate that space. So those are the resources. And again, you can go to our website and find out about our more programs we offer, as well as some of our larger events that we offer throughout the year. Quickly, Tiffany, if I can add, for undergrad students, they can take the ALA 175, which is a leadership lab, which is our 
entry-level course for the BLI program. If they take the course, we teach every semester, they'll be eligible to all our programs, capstone programs, mindful leadership program, mindful peace leadership program. Many programs are open to the university. Some programs are open only to our PLI fellows. Whoever takes the LA 175 will have access to all these opportunities to learn. We also have a lot of workshops and talks. Different people come and do workshops for us. Uh, we have poetry workshops that's open to the community. They can actually do this, uh, learn how to write poetry as a contemporary art, these things like that. So all these announcements, if they go to BLI website, they can have access to this. They can be part of this. During the COVID time last year, we developed a six-week-long journaling program called Pause, Reflect, and Create. It's a six-week different prompts that uh, they can use to cultivate mindful awareness and and mindful mindset. So that'll be another thing. So they have all this information is in the website, in the BLI website. Great. Thank you very much. If you could provide one self-care tip or one affirmation to all students, what would that be? So what one thing that comes to mind is I'm thinking about a, a quote from Carl Sagan, which is, we're small creatures such as we the vastness is only bearable through love. And to me, that just speaks to, in some ways, I would say as uh, we sort of, again, are part of this whole great humanity, trying to find a way where we can extend that sense of love and compassion into ourselves. And through that, then people, as they can take that forward, so that that really springs up, that is something that you can share with everyone. And again, with compassion, we are all learners as are others. So to really have that space for us all to be able to just bring a sense of how can we help each other navigate this wild, wild world that we live in so that we can all be as whole and as joyful and as happy as we can all be. So lead with kindness to yourself and extend that to others. I think mine is very close to what Doreen is thinking. And I always tell my students, you know, be kind to your uh, imperfection. You need compassion. We are all imperfect beings. And you need compassion to tolerate, to really recognize your imperfection and to kind to yourself. Only then you'll really recognize the imperfections to other people. And the compassion towards other people comes through this recognition. The more you recognize the other person's imperfection, accept them as they are, then only we can work on the dignity part of how to recognize dignity and how to work on those things. So for all these things, the basic things come from how to recognize our own imperfections. Our higher level of perfectionism interferes with our capacity to be kind to ourselves as well as to other people. That's, really, that's an important link. So hopefully the mindfulness practices everything help you ultimately to be kind to your own imperfections, whether as a person, whatever the domain we think is important to us, especially the domain that are salient to us. And that will lead to a greater compassion towards others and ultimately to recognize the dignity of the commitment to, to cultivate a dignity culture around us. So for all this core is how to recognize our own imperfection with kindness. 
as Brahm's been speaking to, I just truly believe that if we can all just make time to just be able to be for a while and be able to see more clearly the world and what is happening with nature, with our fellow mm-hmm. humans, that we can really all work together to make this such a better place for all. Is there anything else either of you would like to share before we close out? I just want to thank you for inviting uh, me and uh, nice to meet Doreen and it's uh, a pleasure to think about these things. Thank you for listening to CEW's podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. To learn more about this episode or the services and virtual programming offered by CEW+, please visit cew.umich.edu. Here at CEW+, we navigate circumstantial barriers by providing academic, financial, and professional support to help you reach your personal potential. Established to support women through higher education, we lift up women and all underserved communities at the University of Michigan and beyond. Through career and education counseling, funding, workshops, events, and a diverse, welcoming community, we exist to empower. We are CEW+, and we are here to help you reach your potential. The University of Michigan resides on the traditional territories of the three fires peoples, the Ojibwa, Odawa, and Potawatomi. Many thanks to CEW Plus and the Barger Leadership Institute for allowing us to share this podcast episode. We invite you to continue this topic by visiting our podcast website at mlead.umich.edu slash breakaway. There you will find more information on our guests and the hosting departments. You will also find guided questions about this episode for you to either reflect on your own or discuss in a group. And please check out our other episodes, all provided by members of the Michigan Leadership Collaborative. That's it for now. So until next time, thanks for listening.